This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Amen. Let's take God's word. Go, if you would, please, with me to the book of Romans this morning, Romans chapter number 13, and we'll begin reading in verse number one, Romans chapter number 13 and verse number one. The Bible said, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so as we come to Romans 13, we find the apostle Paul is writing to the church and he is writing to them concerning their relationships in Romans 12 and beyond as he has dealt with the subject of justification and helped us to understand how we are justified in our position in Christ, moving from those truths now to the practical uh, outworking of our faith He's dealing with our relationships and our, our, our connectedness to one another and then in especially the world. And as we come to chapter 13, he's dealing with the responsibility and the role of the church as it relates to human government. And as you and I have lived through the first six months of 2020, let's first pause and thank God that we have lived through it. And then we recognize that we have seen a lot of things that have been terribly disturbing. They've been disturbing to me personally, and I'm sure they've been disturbing to you. And when you think it just can't get more disturbing, then something else develops. And so how do we conduct ourselves, and, 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 and how, how should we think in a way that is pleasing to God, and how should we respond to all that we're seeing happen in, the, in these difficult days? That's really the question that we have. Because of the pandemic of coronavirus and the response of our government in, in the shutdown and the fact that most of us were uh, kept in our homes, some were able to go to work, some were not. Uh, we were not able to meet together in churches and then there was a great dispute about who was able to meet, what was essential and what was not. 
and to see that uh, a government could control its people in such a way. It was definitely something unprecedented in my lifetime and uh, quite disturbing. And then you enter into the George Floyd situation and then the response to that. And beyond the initial response, you understand the agenda behind all of the, all of the peripheral things that are happening and are continuing to go on in our nation. And it's quite disturbing. And on top of all of that is the lack of leadership that we have seen from our national leaders and leaders in cities and leaders in law enforcement. And I want to make it clear that I stand behind law enforcement. I support them. I'm thankful to God for them. And as we just read in the word of God, the Lord stands behind them. And these authorities, these powers are ordained of God. That doesn't mean that I approve or anyone else who knows the Lord would approve of injustices and abuses that have been carried out. Because on one hand, while we stand with authority, we also understand that all men are made in the image of God and should be treated with respect. And so from that premise, we operate as a church. And from that premise, we go forward and we deal with this passage of scripture that speaks to us specifically of the relationship of the church to the state. Uh, we've heard much in our day about the separation of church and state and how the constitution declares there would be a separation. Well, if you read the Constitution and you read the amendments to the Constitution, you will not find that language. The, 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 the amendment to protect the rights of churches was made to protect the freedom of the church, not to free the state from the influence of the church. And that has been twisted and perverted and used to, to the point now where it is the accepted law of the land but it is not what was intended and it is not what should be. But nevertheless, we live in such an era. And you think about the days in which Paul lived. He lived during the time of the rule of the Roman Empire. Uh, you didn't go to the polls and vote for your uh, representatives. Uh, the, the Caesar was not up for election every four years. Uh, you did not have the freedoms and the opportunities to influence the government. There were many who were living in totalitarian, uh, oppressive uh, governmental circumstances and many who have lived throughout the history of the nation or throughout the history rather of the world in those type of nations. But here in America, we have enjoyed, the church has enjoyed a freedom really that has been unprecedented among all the other nations in the world and throughout its history. And we're grateful for that freedom. Those who came to the shores of our land came fleeing from tyranny and oppression so that they could exercise their, their rights to worship God according to their conscience, according to the mandates of Scripture. And our nation declared its independence and fought for that independence and won that independence. And we have enjoyed these freedoms, but we certainly understand that our nation is not what it used to be. We have a crisis in our land. 
And it's in the midst of this crisis that we begin to, to, to search and seek for how we as Christians are to conduct ourselves and how we are to respond. And if we want to know the answer, then there's one place for us to go, the Word of God. Aren't you glad God has the answer? And he's given it to us. He's not left us in the darkness. He has given us light. And so may the Lord help us as we look at this passage. Now, as we look at it, I want to give you three principles about government. And then I want to share with you some truths concerning our role, our responsibility, how we should relate as a church, as individual believers, how we should respond in these days and how we should respond uh, in the government. First of all, I want you to see as a matter of foundation that government is ordained by God. Government is ordained by God. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, verse number one says, but the powers that be are ordained of God. Verse two, whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. Here we find that God has ordained human government. Now, if you'll back up with me to the book of Genesis, chapter number nine, we find that in Genesis chapter number nine, the flood has, a, has occurred. <laughs> Noah and his sons have come off the boat. They're the only living people on the face of the earth. In Genesis chapter six, the Bible says that God looked down upon the earth and saw that the imagination of the heart of man was only evil continually. Think of that. Every thought, every creative power of the mind of man was only evil continually. And the Bible said that when God looked upon the earth, it was filled with violence. And that statement is repeated concerning the violence of the earth. There was wickedness and murder and all sorts of, uh, of violence. And so God says to Noah in Genesis chapter nine and verse number five, and surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, at the hand of man. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. You see, when God created this earth and he, he formed Adam of the dust of the ground and he formed Eve and he brought them together into the garden, God was to be their God. He was to be their ruler. But Adam and Eve sinned against God. They rebelled against God. And they essentially said, you're not going to tell us what to do. And so mankind in their behavior, spiraling down, degenerating into the depths of wickedness, became a violent, murderous people. And after the flood, God says to Noah, here's the thing I want you to, I want you to understand, that if someone commits murder, if someone commits a crime, they're to be punished by mankind. You are accountable, therefore, to govern yourselves. And so God ordains human government. He established it. If sinful men are going to dwell together in a society, if we're going to live and, and flourish, if we're going to have protections and liberties, we must have the ability to govern ourselves. And so we understand that government is ordained by God. And you think of all the injustices of government, and we see all of them today, but we recognize that while we have them, 
we are still among the freest people on the face of the earth and in the history of the world. But the case wasn't so for Paul. It wasn't so for the Jews. It wasn't so for most of the world. And yet he writes to the church to tell them that government is ordained of God. The second truth we find about government in this passage is that government is accountable to God. Not only does God ordain government, but he, he holds government and the leaders of government accountable. And not only are they accountable to God, but they're accountable to the people they serve. Look again, if you would, please, in verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he, that is the government leader, he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. As one whose authority is given by God, we find that the leader is accountable to God and accountable to the people that he serves. So a government leader is to lead in the interest of the people. He is to lead according to the righteous uh, mandates of God's word. And we understand that those who do not do so will face judgment. Now, if you read the Bible, and I hope all of you do, you're going to find that throughout the history of the nation of Israel and in dealing with all the pagan kingdoms of the earth, God held those kings accountable. When, when the people of, of, of God, when, when the people of Israel go into the land of Canaan and bring judgment upon those nations, they are doing so on behalf of God. He is dealing with them according to their sin. When the Old, uh, Old Testament kings of Israel sinned against God, though it may seem that many of them got away with it, God dealt with their sin. The, the sin that he, or the judgment that he pronounced against the house of Ahab, it took some time, but it was dealt with. And as you read, when Jehu went in and commanded that Jezebel be thrown down, the Bible says that these things happened according to the word of the Lord. You see, here's what we can rest in. In the midst of this awful, confusing, disturbing, distressing, perilous time in which we live here's what we can rest in is that God is taking an account and he is going to bring justice you see we have a world screaming for justice but there will be no perfect justice given in a sinful wicked world it will only be given when God meets it out and he will so what is government accountable to God for? Well, in this passage, we see three things. Number one, to protect the citizens. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. The government has a responsibility to protect its citizens. What we've watched in horror in recent weeks is that the government has failed 
in its responsibility to protect its citizens and the property of its citizens. They've sat idly by, concerned about their own position, concerned about appeasing to certain political groups and political forces. They have allowed lawlessness and anarchy in our streets, and they will be held accountable. Not only are they accountable to protect the citizens, but they're accountable to punish the criminals. Crime should be punished. If you violate the law, then you should go to jail. That's the law of the land. In verse number four, at the close of the verse, he says, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he, that is the law enforcer, the policeman, He is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. God has ordained certain people to be a revenger, to execute wrath, to deal with people who commit crimes and punish them. One of the the great marks of a society that is about to implode is that they rebel against law enforcement. And by the way, I understand and recognize that not all law enforcement people uh, are always right and acting right. And and many people have had uh, some difficult encounters. But the truth of the matter is overall, the people who are in law enforcement are people who support the laws of the land, who are good people, who are serving their community, and they should be applauded and not be mocked and reviled. But the spirit of this age is the spirit that Jude speaks about when he says they speak evil of dignities. That's the spirit of this age. It creates us a spirit of rebellion and criminals must be punished. If they go unpunished, then others will be emboldened and they will not have that fear that is spoken of in verse number four. If there's no fear of authority, if there's no punishment for criminals, then there's no hindrance, there's no restraint to their activity. So protect the citizens, punish the criminals. And that includes the bad law enforcement people. They should be punished as well. But there's a system of justice in this land. There's a system of justice, and that system of justice needs to be engaged and employed. And by the way, does it always work perfectly? No, of course it does not. And it certainly wasn't working well for the Christians in Rome. But God is speaking to his church here. He's saying, this is how I want you to deal with an unjust, unlawful, abusive government. And in that tension were those Jews who used Rome when it was convenient to oppress the church themselves. These are, the, these are the tensions that Paul was living in, not much unlike the tensions that we find ourselves in today. And so the word of God that applied to the church at Rome in Romans 13 applies to you and I in America today. And may God help us not to think necessarily as we are conditioned to think by this world, but to learn to think as the Holy Spirit speaks to us and reveals to us the light and truth of God's word. So the government's accountable to protect the citizens, to punish the criminals, and to provide for the community. Notice in verse 6, For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. 
We are to pay our taxes. The taxes are to be collected by the government and to be used for the good of the people to protect the citizens. Now we understand there are a lot of abuses to that today. We understand that. But nevertheless, this is what God has commanded us to do. All right, so we learned, so we learned some principles about government. Number one, government is ordained by God. Number two, government is accountable to God and the people it serves. And then finally this, citizens are to submit to the authority of the government. If citizens do not submit to the authority of the government, then we will have anarchy. And that is a lot of what we're seeing today. So in the midst of all of this, Paul is speaking to the church, and I think we find here in this passage, we find our responsibility, our role, and our relationship to the government that will help us today. And so I want you to write a few things down, if you would, please. Number one, as we think about our responsibility and our relationship to the government, number one, we see that we're to practice submission. Submission doesn't come easy for us. Why? Because in the heart of humanity, in that sinful heart, in that wicked heart, resides the seed of rebellion. But God's people are called to submit. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. We are to recognize the place that we are given. We are to recognize the position that the governmental leaders are given. And Peter wrote of this in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 13. He said, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Well, why should I submit to every ordinance of man? For the Lord's sake. You see, God is working in this world through his church. And God is directing me to do something that comes contrary to my flesh. To submit for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so, verse 15, is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So here we're learning that we're to practice submission. Now there's one exception to this command. We find it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number five. We're to obey the laws of the land until the laws of the land come in direct conflict with the commands of Christ. In Acts chapter five, Peter has been preaching the message of the gospel and uh, the Jews have commanded him not to do so. And so they send somebody to get him. Verse 26, then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if the city council of Hickory brought us in and said, ye have filled hickory with your doctrine. That's powerfully convicting, isn't it? You've not filled hickory with your political pamphlets or with your business promotions. And all those things have a place. 
but ye filled hickory with your doctrine. That's what God's called us to do. Preach the truth. And so they said, Peter, we told you not to preach, but you're preaching. Verse 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So what's our exception to this ordinance given to us by Paul? It's when the laws of man come in conflict with the commands of Christ. But we're to be good citizens. We're to be model citizens. We are to practice submission. We're not anarchists. We're not tearing people's businesses down. We're not screaming at the police. We're not screaming at the governor. We're not screaming at the senators. We are God's people filled with the Holy Spirit, guided by the word of God. We do not fight the battles the way the world fights them. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty indeed to the pulling down of strongholds. If I've ever seen a time in our nation where there's some real strongholds that disturb me greatly and disturb you, then I have to understand they're not gonna be pulled down through the mechanisms of the flesh. They're only gonna be pulled down through the weapons that God has given me, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, and through prayer. And so I am to practice submission, that I may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The second thing I'm to do is I'm to pray for the leaders of government. In 1 Timothy chapter number two and verse number one, The Bible says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Paul is writing to Timothy here to explain to him how the the services and the public meetings of the church are to be conducted, what is to happen in, in the life and ministry of the church. And he says, I want you to understand, God has given a priority for the church, and that is that they should pray for all men, verse two, for kings and for all that are in authority. That means the mayor, the city council, the school board, the county commission, the sheriff, the attorneys, the state representatives, the state senators, the governor, the United States congressman, the United States Senate, the president, the Supreme Court justices, God said we're to pray for them. In, in one of our outreach ministries, the Prayers and Postcards Ministry, we have taken the responsibility to write and send a note to our, our leaders to tell them that we're praying for them. And many of them have written responses and thank you notes to us here at the church thanking us for our prayers. And oftentimes, the only time we engage our leaders is when we disagree with them. They should not hear from us the first time when we have a disagreement. They should hear from us to know that we appreciate their service and that we're praying for them. And by the way, if we disagree, we we should engage them. 
but we have to do it in the way that God has mandated. But if we don't pray, if we don't pray, then how can we expect God to work? Notice what the Lord says here. He says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I, 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 I said to the earlier group as we met, I said, in recent days, there have been a lot of protests, even before the George Floyd situation and people protesting about the government mandates that were placed upon us. And, and, and we understand that there's a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of bad information. And people have been very concerned about the church and its inability to meet. And, and, um, and, and I have had those concerns. But I, 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 I was invited to, to join a, a group of people who were in protest. And I didn't have the opportunity to do that or the inclination to do that. And as I saw the video of the meeting and I saw how some of the people spoke to law enforcement officials and how, how they spoke to uh, some of the leaders, I was grateful that I wasn't a part of that because I don't think that represented the Lord well. I'm not saying it couldn't have been done in a way that represented him well. It should have been done in a way that represented him well. But it should never be done in a way that doesn't represent him well. And so if we're going to live a quiet and peaceful life, we have to learn to pray. Now listen, political power is a powerful thing. But there's a power greater. It's the power of God. It's the power of heaven. And do you know who has access to the power of heaven? You and I. We can enter boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, that we might find grace to help in the time of need. We can go before a holy God who is in control, who is bringing all things to himself. And we can call upon him. And I want to tell you, as I read my Bible, I find out that God answers prayer. The problem is we're not praying. We're getting engaged in every type of activity and every kind of warfare, and we're getting concerned and worked up and spending hours on Facebook when we ought to be on our knees and in the word of God, calling on the God of heaven, seeking his divine help. I've been so burdened for our church, for my kids, for my grandkids, for this nation, to the point of fear. But I have God who's in control and I can call on him and he will answer and he will answer you. May God help us to return to him and to pray. He's called us to be priests and that's greater than being a politician. And I'm grateful for Christian politicians and I'm gonna encourage some of you to do it. Get engaged. But we can pray. Here's the third thing the church is called on to do. Number one, practice submission. Number two, pray for the leaders of government. Number three, proclaim the truth to the leaders of government. 
The church is to be the conscience of America. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, he said, Timothy, if I tarry long, that I want you to know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. We need to understand something. The church is mighty important. It was, it was established by Christ. It was commissioned by Christ. What are we to do? We are the pillar and ground of the truth. We are to preach and proclaim the truth to a lost and dying world. We are to engage our leaders with the truth of God's word. We need to help them understand they're accountable to God. The speaker of the house can talk all day long about how much she prays, but when she promotes legislation that is wicked and immoral and causes the death of babies in the womb, I want you to know she needs to understand and all of our leaders need to understand they are accountable to God, but they need to hear that from us. They need to hear that from us. We're the pillar and ground of the truth. We need to proclaim the truth. We need to be a holy people. Not long after the flood, not long after God established human government and brought all that destruction upon the earth, not long, and all the world was ready to rebel against God again. And he went to Babylon, he confounded their languages, and he spread them across the globe. And then later on, he found a man named Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I want the whole earth to know me. So I'm going to take you and I'm going to call you to myself and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And when all the pagan, heathen nations of the world see you, they're going to say, I need to know who that guy's serving. And God wants to use his church today. Your home, your family, your life to be a witness of who he is in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So therefore, let's let our light shine. Proclaim truth. What can I do? I'm worked up. So am I. Practice submission. Pray for our leaders. Proclaim the truth to our leaders. And then here's the last thing, a very practical thing. There are, it's all practical, isn't it? Participate in the government. In the 2012 election, I am told by a person that should know this information, that close to 50 million evangelicals did not vote Now, that's a broad term, evangelicals. But imagine this, 50 million people who profess to know the Lord as their Savior simply did not vote. A friend, when, when Paul was about to be beaten, the Jews had accused him of sedition and disruption, and so the Roman soldiers were about to take him, and they were about to beat him. And, and Paul said, I'm a Roman. Are you going to beat a Roman? Acts chapter 22. Are you going to beat an uncondemned Roman? You see, he invoked his privilege as a Roman citizen. The Jews 
did not have that privilege, but Paul, who was a Jew, had that privilege. He was freeborn. He was a Roman citizen, and he invoked that privilege. You and I, as American citizens, have privileges. Let's exercise them. If you're not voting, you need to vote. We need more influence of righteousness, not less. And that influence can be exercised in the polls. So vote. Get registered and vote. Don't buy into this uh, fatalistic notion that your vote doesn't count and it doesn't matter what you do. Look, you have an accountability as a citizen. You need to get engaged and you need to vote. Good, uh, good people, the right people, to, sometimes can be difficult to, to determine as far as who we should vote for. But when you find one, you make sure you vote for him and you let others know it. Encourage people. Correspond with our representatives. Let them know you're praying for them. And then if there's an issue that you're concerned about, and by the way, we should be informed about those issues. We should spend some time getting informed about those issues. Then we need to correspond. We need to write to our, our, our leaders and, and we need to let them know where we stand and we need to let them know that we're praying that God will guide them. I had a very eye-opening visit a number of years ago when I went to the State House in Raleigh. And I was there uh, to speak to them about some issues and they concerned uh, me and I, there was a a lady who works down in Raleigh who's a godly woman who is actively trying to encourage our leaders to make good decisions. And uh, I had met her a few years back and she said to me, she said, I want you to go with me. I want to introduce you to some of these people. And I had the privilege to meet some of them. And I went into the office of one of our local state representatives and I talked to him about the thing that was concerning me and then he said something to me that surprised me. He said, uh, do you have some time to talk to me? And I said, absolutely. I was trying to be respectful of his time and get out of the way. He wanted to talk. And he wanted to tell me about his family and the struggles that he was having and commuting back and forth from this area to Raleigh and the time that he was away from his family and how difficult it was. He wanted to tell me about some of the problems that that was causing. And he wanted to tell me about some of the pressures that he faces on a daily basis, trying to do right when the world is drifting so wrong. It was a very sobering time. It was a very eye-opening time for me. And I want to tell you, we ought to thank God. There still are people in Washington. There are still people in Raleigh who love God and want to do right. And we need to pray for them, and we need to love them, and we need to support them, and we need to encourage them. Aren't you glad that we have a man like Mike Pence who is in the, in the Washington, D.C., in the White House? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. He's a man who loves God and a man who knows God. You know, when, when the Lord wanted to make a difference in the history of the world, what did he do? He sent Daniel to Babylon. When he wanted to preserve Israel, what did he do? He sent Joseph to Egypt. God is able to work. And so let's, let's keep looking to the Lord. Let's keep praying. Let's keep 
uh, preaching the truth. Let's keep uh, uh, corresponding with those who are in office and let them know that we're here for them. One of our Congress people, it was Congresswoman Virginia Fox was with us recently and she said, I'm on a particular committee where the most obstinate, difficult, and I'm using my words, not hers, haters of righteousness and truth and all that God's people hold dear, I'm on a committee where I face those kind of people. And I thought to myself, we got to pray for her more. And may God help us. And maybe there's some people in here that God would touch them. They said, I'd be willing to serve. I'd be willing to run for office. Hey, we need Christians on the school board, right? We need Christians in the county. We need Christians in the city government. People who know God and love God who will do right and act justly. And so may God work among his people. This is what we can do in the midst of what looks like an unwinnable battle. And by the way, it only looks unwinnable. But I've got some good news for you. We're on the winning side. Jesus has already won the battle. He's coming again. He will rule and reign upon this earth. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? I want to encourage you, if you don't know him, you better trust him today. God gave some counsel to the kings of the earth. He said, kiss the son, lest he be angry. There's a time for you to repent and a time to turn to Christ. I hope you'll do it now. And may God help us as his people not to get caught up in everything coming and going, not to think in a carnal, fleshly way, but to have our mind renewed after the mind of Jesus and to engage our government and our leaders the way God will guide us here in his word. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.